0: Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 98 of UAB Green and Told, originally released Monday, May 22nd, 2023. Through our podcast, we're given the opportunity to share stories from members of the UAB community. Want to check out past episodes? Visit alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold, Spotify, or the Apple Podcast app. And while there, leave a written review so more alums can find us. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and Director of Communications at the Office of Alumni Affairs. Some people, like today's guests, have a thirst for knowledge. They want to soak up anything and everything in order to gain new perspectives and navigate challenging situations. Dr. Raymond Thompson is an inquisitive individual yearning to ingest the old and invent the new.
1: But I love creating not new knowledge. I love doing research, finding out something new and getting to write about it and tell other people about it.
0: Raymond spent a career as an educator teaching students at UAB, but as he'll reveal, while he enjoyed the wide variety of kids he taught, other things, well, got in the way. I
1: hated to grade quizzes. The only thing I hated worse than grading quizzes was going to faculty meetings. Those were two, two, those eventually, eventually drove me out.
0: And as we'll discover when Raymond talks about UAB, he exudes passion and blazer pride. Some might say that it's in his blood.
1: It's because one time I was working and I cut my finger and it bled green. I said, "Oh gosh, I'm, 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 I got UAV blood in me."
0: Raymond Thompson is a Birmingham guy. While he was born in South Beach, Florida, his family moved to the Magic City's West End when he was only three. He may not have known at the time, but. Engineering concepts were being impressed upon him as a high schooler, especially from his chemistry, physics, and math teachers. But to know Raymond today, you have to know what he was like as a child, the second of five in all future Blazers.
1: I had four brothers and sisters, so there's five kids. Uh, dad Dad worked hard uh, at a lot of things. He had a machine shop uh, at one time on Long Avenue, was well, a welding and machine shop. Uh, we knew a lot of the racers over at uh, BIR International Raceway, which, for those who don't know it, Birmingham used to have a racetrack. And uh, Donnie Allison, Bobby Allison, all sure those uh, NASCAR guys used to drive what they called supermodifieds. And Dad knew them, and he worked with them, and we kind of racing, playing ball, growing up uh, as a kid. Played a, We had a lot. We had a lot of kids. Got to remember this. This is the '50s. This mm-hmm. is baby boom era. There must have been 25 kids on our block, close to my age. And so, you know, somebody says, let's play some football. You'd have you'd have two, uh, you know, 10-man scrums out there playing football in somebody's yard. And yeah. it, was, it was not hard to get uh, a game going. And so we we're always hanging out together, playing wolfball ball or something. That was that was growing up.
0: Where are you in the pecking order with the Thompson clan?
1: I am second oldest. I was the oldest uh, adult male. so. <laughs> And uh, my sister, Lynn, was uh, about two and a half years older than me, so she was Mama Hen. And then I was the one who had to set the example for everybody going, going, growing up. And that's a tough chore, let me tell you. It's, a, it's an honor, but it's a responsibility to set an example.
0: <laughs> Talk about a little bit of the challenges. As the oldest boy in a family of five kids with your mom and dad, what kind of challenges did you have with your brothers and sisters?
1: Well, a lot of, a lot of challenges because everybody's always expected, we had a lot of chores that you had to do. This is a time when we didn't even have air conditioning. You grew up without air conditioning in your house, uh, you could stay outside a lot because it's too hot to be inside in Birmingham, uh, especially sometimes. There was a lot of outside activities and looking out out after each other. I remember one time I went out, we were playing some football uh, in one of the neighbor's uh, yards down the street and my youngest brother, Joe, who was about five years younger, he was. He had to tag along, right? He, he always come along, and so we let him play. Well, he would get hurt, and so he got hurt one day. And we thought, eh, well, the the, the baby's just hurt. We well, get home. It turns out he has a broken shoulder. Oh and boy, no! Boy, I caught I caught it for not taking care of my little brother. <laughs> after he broke his shoulder,
0: in late '60s, you also found yourself searching for what you were going to do, where you were going to go to college. Obviously, you wound up at UAB but it was also a new institution at the time. Yeah. Sure, it had been around, but it wasn't what it is today. It wasn't autonomous. What went into the college selection process for you?
1: West, West End was not your, your upper-class neighborhood. And most people in West End, and there were a lot of, of kids in West End that were you know, looking for that next thing. Well, the first thing we had to deal with was the Vietnam draft. So as we were graduating, they were doing the lottery numbers. And so we, we'd wait around our, our junior year, we w- waited around to see what our lottery number was. And so if you are if you got those low numbers, you went in the military, you went to the reserves. Uh, if you had a higher number, then you had the option. I was fortunate enough to get a high number, so I didn't have to worry about it. I think my draft number was 276 uh, in 1969, 1970. Okay. And so I didn't have to do the draft. So my next thing was, well, where am I going to go to college? This is a modest brag. I was college material, at least, at least I thought. Yeah. But in in West End, we didn't have that much uh, money, and so there wasn't a pot of money to uh, to go to school. And my father died my junior year in high school, and so my mom was the main breadwinner. We didn't back then. We didn't. There weren't big insurance policies that uh, that carried you through stuff. We had Social Security, which provided a certain amount for each uh, survivor after a, a father breadwinner died, because back then most women didn't work so mm-hmm. mom had to go out and get a job so there's a lot of turmoil uh at that time uh in my life but you maybe don't know it because you're 18 and you're in love i had a had high school sweetheart uh so we got married when pam graduated from high school uh at 18 and i was 19 we got married so we're looking at planning a marriage looking at college and so i probably wouldn't have gone to college if uab hadn't given me a scholarship uab offered me a, a full ride scholarship tuition and fees, and so I was able to go to school. It turns out Pam also got one of those full-ride scholarships, so Pam and I both were able to then uh, go to college while we were married and living in an apartment. And I, actually, we had a, a little house we rented in West End for $60 a month, and uh, we both worked after school. But, man, you went in to uh, went in registration was at Bell Gym. You go into Bell Gym, they had tables scattered all over the gym floor. So registration was at Bell Gym uh to get get registered for class Uh, classes were happening uh all day long because it was still a commuter school we had uh semester hours on a quarter system uh we took classes uh six to eight eight to ten and they said we were were going to school all hours of the day and night working being young being married there wasn't a time for a whole lot of other things it was uh it was a busy time and exciting time even at uab and uh UAB had just started an engineering school a couple of years before. So the engineering school was brand new. We got to take classes in the new engineering school for engineering. Okay. So things were scattered all over the place. And then about our junior year, they built three buildings. They were uh, uh, cleverly named building one, building two, and building three. And so one building was mostly for humanities. One building was for mostly physics uh, and the for the sciences. And uh, one building, I think, was mainly a catch-all kind of building so uab was a really interesting place we became autonomous like we said we were no longer tied with the university there was one course i loved at at uab you got one hour credit for golf and uh, (laughs) i i loaded up i loaded up my free credits playing golf at cooper green and and uh, highland golf courses because the reason you took that one hour not only did you get a credit for it but you got to play free golf
0: all five thompson kids went to UAB. Was that just because they wanted to stay close to home or did they feel that it was the right fit or both?
1: Well, it was mostly the right fit. First of all, we're so fortunate to have parents that encouraged that higher education Mm -hmm. uh, thing. And my sister went to uh, the Ida B. Moffitt School of Nursing first and got a nursing degree. And she came back to UAB and got her PhD in nursing from UAB. My brother got a Engineering degree. Other brother got a biophysics degree. My youngest sister got a dance degree, and so UAB was close, but it was it it was an affordable alternative to go to school. It it was an opportunity. Otherwise, it'd been very hard for us and for many people uh, in our same uh, neighborhoods. Like I said, to find a place to to go to college, you could afford to go.
0: You wound up getting two degrees from the School of Engineering your bachelor's of science, and then you got a master of science. After you got the master's degree, what was the plan? What did you want to do when Ray Thompson grew up?
1: That was decided uh, somewhere else in the cosmos. Uh, Raymond Thompson growing up was very uh, naive and and uneducated and uh, unprepared for college or college life or this or that. Uh, I didn't know much outside of West End. And so getting out into the bigger world uh, was, was uh, born for us. Ray Buchanan, my professor at UAB, thought that I needed to go to graduate school and get a doctorate. And he worked on me and convinced me to, uh, to go to Vanderbilt University to do a Ph.D. And you chose teaching. Oh, I loved. Uh, first of all, first of all, I'm one of those unique people who, who does like the books. I like the research, I love research. I love learning new things. And as I got into uh, to my more research career, I don't want this to sound like it's going to sound, but I love creating not new knowledge. I love doing research, finding out something new and getting to write about it and tell other people about it. Uh, and I, I love that. And I've been able to continue that. One thing in high school, my senior for, for summers, and then also at my first year and a half at UAB in the, in the, in the mornings to noon. I poured curb and gutter concrete. Pouring concrete is an extremely hard and difficult thing to do. And I won't use all the four letter words I know to describe it (laughs) because it's that type of hard work. And that you go out there and you see somebody pouring concrete and shoveling concrete and smoothing concrete. You just need to wave at them and and say, keep it up, boys. Y'all doing great. You can't last that long doing doing that kind of work. And so I, I knew that I want to do something easier in life. And it turns out that research and academia, as long as, you know, God allows your brain to work, you can kind of do that for a long time. And so I've been able to do it now for 50 years. And uh, it's uh, just a great thing. And I liked it. I like doing the research. Uh, I like being around the books. I, I love the uh, UAB library. Don't tell them I said this, but I still maintain my, my university library account (laughs) to this day because I love to go into the research databases and and look up what's going on in the research fields and I need it for my 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 current work sometimes I have to go and research stuff and uh, and I but I love going in reading research papers I got lots of friends who think it's the worst thing they'd ever heard of that that's uh, they would know that it just kills them to even think about doing that and
0: yeah well I kind of like it Before we get to your current professional career, you spent 20 years as a professor, an assistant professor, first at Clemson, then you came back to UAB in the early 80s, and you spent nearly 20 years here on campus. What was it like on the other side of the classroom?
1: Oh, well, first of all, it's great. I love people. One thing I love people, being from, I think that comes from being from a really big family, is that... uh, I, I And it's a mistake, because a lot of people don't like it, uh, being treat, treat everybody like they're a brother or sister or family member, right? So I have, I have that tendency to treat other people like family members, and a lot of people aren't prepared for that. I, I love people. I love uh, meeting new people all, from all over uh, the place. And I've had the opportunity, thanks to UAB, to, to travel around the world and, and meet people all over. And when I started, I was just uh, 20, 26 or so, so I wasn't too mm-hmm. much older. Than uh, a a lot of the people I was teaching, and so it was a different relationship though. As I got to be older, and some of them could be my grandchildren now. Being in the being being able to teach uh, and to uh, try to communicate to people what I had learned, and try to get them prepared, then to uh, to enter the workplace and and be really good at the profession uh, that we were teaching. Uh, I just I just I loved it. I hated I hated grading the worst part about it, grading quizzes. I hated to grade quizzes. The only thing I hated worse than grading quizzes was going to faculty meetings. Those were the two, two. Those Eventually, eventually drove me out. Drove me out of the university.
0: <laughs> you got driven out in 1998, and we'll explore that just a little bit. And you started your own company, Vista Engineering. Yeah, right. Aside That's- from the faculty meetings, what else led into you leaving and, and establishing your own business? There was a, a, a
1: number of things. And. Uh, I can kind of distill them into about three things, I think, as I've thought about them over the years. (laughs) One was the faculty meetings. That was certainly something that uh, that I didn't like. But I'll I'll say Alan Eberhardt and I started this. And Alan is a professor in uh, biomaterials. So I was teaching the senior capstone senior design for materials engineering for mechanical engineering. And so we had a big kind of senior design class. And the idea in senior design is, you know, let's come. Y'all invent something new, uh, develop the specifications for it and and make it work based on your engineering knowledge. Alan had this grant from uh, the National Science Foundation to kind of do that in the biomedical area. And so Alan and I decided to team up and bring those National Science Foundation projects and funds into our senior design class. And we started building things for various Uh, organizations that needed real equipment to to do real things with uh, uh, a swing set for uh, certain types of of children with certain types of handicaps. They need special swing sets. So how do you design a special swing set for kids with certain types of handicaps so that that they can't get hurt but can have a great time and fun on it? So we we get projects like that. And so that got to be real fun. We started doing a lot of design work. And then uh, we brought in the business school, and we started bringing in business students, and the business students started writing business plans for the products that we oh, were wow. developing. That turned out to be really exciting. It got me really interested in entrepreneurship. Then Yogesh in the physics department had invented a diamond process to create diamond coatings from methane gas. You take methane gas, and you can make diamonds and, <laughs> and make it in a coating. Uh, and he got a patent for it. So I had the opportunity from the university to take Yogish's patent and try to develop it into some commercial products. I had got this entrepreneurial bug from my senior design class and the kids in that class and all that energy and enthusiasm from that class. And I was I'd I'd spent 21 years at the university and I taught the classes. And you can only teach a class so many times before you begin to kind of lose excitement for it. You don't lose excitement for the kids and for the teaching but the material gets so, so old. Then I went to Stockholm, Sweden, on a sabbatical, and I was in Stockholm for six months, working on my next research thing. And while there, the research I discovered was that turns out I need a certain thing about material science to do the thermodynamics, and it wasn't possible to get it. That was kind of a, became a kind of a dead end. And uh, I said, well, it's time to do something different now.
0: The time is Vista Engineering. What challenges? did you face when you first ventured out with Vista? Well,
1: well, I first ventured out with Vista. First of all, I didn't have any customers. I had gone through the university and taken a, a university job, and I was a full professor. What did I know about business? Turns out I thought I knew a lot about business. Turns out I didn't use nothing. I got to call some people, and I knew some people we'd worked with. We worked with a lot of industry people at my uh, in our lab at UAB. I started calling people, and said, you know, I'm, I've left the university. I'm on my own. I need some work. You got any work I can do for you? And for first of all, it's humbling if you've never done that, uh, and and once you start doing it, you learn it's not humbling. It's an opportunity. So I had to get over that. So getting a business started is it was first of all, you know, just getting things moving, and then finding some great people to come help you out.
0: How did the company grow in the 25 years since it was established? Well, we've morphed over
1: several things. Uh, We took uh, Yogeshwar's patents out of the engineering school and we worked on those for 15 years. We worked on the diamond research. We had one of the country's largest diamond reactors uh, that we were working with. And we made a lot of diamond coatings. We put them on a lot of things. And the uh, National Science Foundation and the National Institute of Health both supported us in our work because we tried to put diamonds on biomedical devices, on on cutting tools, on all kinds of things. Turned out it never we never were able to perfect it. And right now the kind of diamonds that we're we were working with are used mostly just for synthetic diamonds for jewelry, really. So yeah. they kind of perfected how to make a, a half carat uh diamond from from the process, but we never went in that direction. So we're doing research and but then we also got into uh Engineering forensics uh, very deeply and engineering forensics really funded uh, our research and and the other things that we played with over the years. And then we kind of morphed into uh, mostly a forensic engineering and manufacturing consulting. And then we got into the entrepreneurial patent work where we started developing products uh, and submitting patents. And now we have about 13 patents uh, that are out in the uh, in the industry uh,
0: making money. The transition from diamonds to forensic engineering cannot be an easy change what was part of that and what kind of led you to go you know what forensic engineering i think that's the direction we (laughs) want to take well
1: it turns out that uh, forensic engineering is something we'd always done they just never called it forensic engineering there's a lot of terms safety engineering forensic engineering a lot of things have have morphed over the 50 years i've I've been been doing this Uh, but when i first started they didn't have things like that we pretty much had Uh, Civil, mechanical, electrical uh, materials and biomedical came along and became a thing and in safety engineering and then forensic engineering. So all this come up. We I actually my classic training was in failure analysis uh, of materials. Basically, forensic engineering is one of the things that they do is look for root causes uh, of why things go bad. Forensic engineering, by definition, is the use of engineering in litigation cases. So when people bring cases, when you hear all these advertisements about lawyers, plaintiff lawyers going to get you money in litigation cases, uh, well, we get involved in a lot of that. But also, it turns out industry has the same kind of set of problems, except they're not litigation related. Industry is always breaking something or something goes wrong, or they have a process that they've used for years and somebody retires or a company gets bought, and the process, which has to fit into a little process window, gets outside the window and they need some They need help getting it back in the window because they've lost that kind of internal expertise that kept it in the window. And so they'll call on us and we'll help them get their their process back under control or find out why their things are breaking and help them redesign it so it doesn't break anymore. Uh, So all that's it it comes from the same kind of germ that forensic engineering comes from. So it really wasn't that hard elite. And it's one thing that uh, I really love and the people that work with me here really love. We love that uh, investigation of, of what happened, why it happened, and how do we need to fix it?
0: You have elected to remain close to the university post-retirement from being a professor after graduation. Why have you kept that connection? It's
1: because one time I was working and I cut my finger and it bled green. I said, "Oh gosh, I'm I'm, I'm I got UAB blood in me. I got no choice but to stay close to UAB," and so. Uh, I've been able to do that with uh just some people people let me okay uh, people let me uh in so uh and I've been thankful for that uh, over the years yogish for let me in in the diamond works so I could keep, keep close with the diamond uh, and then a long-term uh, friend a uh, former professor Tom Talbot uh would, would let me in and he became a partner in, in one of our endeavors and just people like that. Jack Lemons in the biomedical school, in, in, the, in the medical department, let me in. We put diamond on TMJ joints, which is your joint between your mandib- mandibular and, and skull. And uh, let us let us in. Uh, Brian Pillay in materials engineering lets us in and, and, and helps work on, on his ideas. The alumni, your, your group, the alumni let me in to, uh, to be on the uh, participate in the board. Well, people just just kind enough to, to let me in and participate. The alumni participation, by the way, uh, was great. I mean, what a, what a wonderful part of my life! There at UAB, getting to participate in that, which led to participation in the five-year plan, being on the selection committee for the provost. I mean, things things that I, I just wouldn't have been able to do if it hadn't been for being part of the alumni. So people just let me in around the around the campus, and it's been. Great, and I've I've loved it. I've loved this love that service to the university. I owe them so much. I mean, they're, they're so much a part of of who I am and and what I am. My family, uh, just everything. But no 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 reason not to serve UAB in
0: any way possible. How much of your success can you trace back to getting that bachelor's degree in the 70s from UAB?
1: Business success, 100% of it for sure. I mean, all of it. Nothing that I've done professionally that I would have been able to do if uh, UAB hadn't given me that scholarship and let me come to school.
0: That's Raymond Thompson. Dr. Thompson is a two-time product of the School of Engineering, earning his bachelor's degree in 1974 and master's in 1975. As someone who says he bleeds green and gold, and as a past president of the National Alumni Society, Raymond definitely has a great idea of what it means to be a blazer. Well, to be
1: a blazer means to be part of a big community of people that do great things across a huge region, across a, a huge line of different endeavors, both medical, uh, science, engineering, humanities. Uh, and it's a community that's always growing and bringing in new people, and you get people like me who graduate out of one end uh, of life, and you got new people coming in on the other end of life, coming in. So it's it's kind of like a flowing stream, and I'm just standing on one edge of the uh, uh, of the shore, and I watch the stream flow by, and it and I, it just seems to get stronger and stronger as as it goes. So UAB's yeah, growth and the, the what it's meant to the community. So I get to be a part of that. I get to be a part of that. And that's, uh, that's what it means to be a Blazer.
0: Be sure to check out past episodes of the UAB Green and Told podcast. Listen in at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Have a story to share or know someone who does? Email greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on social media. Just search UAB Alumni on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. And until next time, go Blazers.